Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Howdy, all you geoholics out there. This is Nick Smolovsky with another Bad Elf Tech Minute. All right, so today I want to quickly just do a shout-out for the Bad Elf Flex. Um, if you are a surveyor geodesist out there and you've been following the Flex, uh, we are integrating in uh, geoids and uh, orthometric heights natively into the Flex as we speak. And just within the next few weeks, we will be debuting this as a new functionality for standalone collection. If you are doing any type of tie-downs or uh, perhaps you need to get into orthometric heights versus ellipsoidal heights, this is going to be for you. Uh, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, uh, Twitter, and or uh, YouTube, and check out all of our information on the Battle Flex. Again, the incorporation of geoids and orthometric heights are coming. We are super stoked about this. This is going to be your uh, Geoholics uh, Bad Elf Tech Minute for the night. If you guys need to get a hold of me, uh, you can email me at Nick, that's N-I-K, that's um, N is in Nancy, I is in Igloo, K is in Kilo, at bad-elf.com. Thanks, everybody. Ready, boys? I feel like I'm in Indiana. <laughs> Let's get our pod on and have some fun. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Guess what? We hit the half century mark. This is episode 50, also known as the... Oh, it's the David Robinson, the oh, Admiral. Oh, not so bad. Can't ah, argue. He's a 10-time NBA All-Star. Oh, my God. 1995 NBA MVP, two-time NBA champ, 99 mm. in 2003. Two-time Olympic gold medalist, 92 with the Dream Team. Wow. And 96, 2009, he was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. I and, can't argue with that. It's well, a good choice. James. And I know who you're thinking. Mike Singletary. Exactly. And yep. he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame in 1998. And I made a little note of, cannot play with him. Cannot <laughs> win with him. Cannot coach him. Can't do it. I want winners. Oh, God. I love that guy. He was great when he played. He was great after he played. I mean, what a, oh, my God. What a motivator that One guy One of the is. best press conferences ever. Absolutely. No question. All right. I can't argue with any of that. Fantastic. So I, I, I can't say it enough. I mean, thank you, everybody, so much for listening and for your continued support. And now that we've buttered you up a little bit, please consider joining the Geoholics Fan Club to celebrate our 50th episode. So get this. You guys aren't even aware of this yet. I'm offering something that you're not even aware of. If you make a $50 U.S., Whoa. not Canadian, uh, contribution to the Geoholics GoFundMe account, you are going to receive an unprecedented Geoholics fan pack that will now include the following. Are you ready for this? Big Shoots will personally package up and send you it happens. <laughs> a personalized Geoholics t-shirt, two wristbands, two stickers, two koozies, two temporary tattoos courtesy of Diamondback Land Surveying, and, you ready for this, a Geoholics pint glass. Whoa. Yes. Where did Where did we get these? How do I yes, get one? Yes, yes. You got to make a donation, my friend. Did you forget the koozies, too? Or did you mention No, I those? got them, two koozies. Oh, my yeah, goodness. That was in there. Yep, yep, yep. It's, you cannot beat that for 50 bucks. Are you kidding me? Uh, no 50 loons though. No. <laughs> so before I forget, cause I think I did sell last episode, it might've been the wine. I have no idea, but please do us a favor and subscribe to the geoholics YouTube channel so that we can reach our goal of hundred subscribers. I haven't looked in a few days. I think we're probably up to about what? 85, 90, somewhere around there. You know, I haven't looked, but yeah, it'll be somewhere right around somewhere around there. there. Well, I'll tell you what, give us an update when you find that. All right. We're, in the meantime, we're, we're, we're going to move close. on. We're, we're close. close. We're close. But just because we get a hundred doesn't mean we can't get 200. So well, I just want just that like, URL. Yeah, that's just the first benchmark. So we're trying to get to 100. Please take 30 seconds and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Ocho Cinco, 85. Ooh. 85? Yep. Oh, right on. Okay, cool. So we're almost so, there. We're so on close. track. That's pretty amazing. All right. That opening tune, of course, is John Mellencamp. Uh, the name of the song is Play Guitar, one of my favorite John Mellencamp songs. Uh, Mr. Mellencamp is an American roots rocker from Seymour, Indiana. Have you heard of him? He, he, uh, I married somebody from Indiana. I know. I know. He's, he's part you of the guys, family at this point. You guys probably like are like, yeah, exactly. You're kin. Whenever it co- <laughs> 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 uh, the lovely Carrie recently had a student from Arizona move to Mississippi, <laughs> and he's doing like a sales job there, and he actually texted her today and said, can you tell me what kin means? <laughs> 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 he didn't know. 
<laughs> so oh, that's awesome. The odds. So uh, John Mellencamp, uh, quite the artist. He has amassed 22 top 40 hits in the United States. In addition, he holds the record for the most tracks by a solo artist to hit number one on the hot mainstream rock chart. That is seven. Mellencamp is also one of the founding members of Farm Aid, which I remember distinctively, which has raised over $57 million to promote a strong and resilient family farm system of agriculture. John Mellencamp was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2008 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2018. Not a bad career. I do have a John Mellencamp story, of course. Went and saw him at uh, Poplar Creek in Chicago. We got word of where he was staying, right? So after the show, we got out of there as fast as we could, went to the hotel we heard he was staying. We were going up and down the elevator. I don't even know what the hell we were doing at that point. But we go to the bottom floor. We get out. Who's walking in? John. The Cougar. Cougar. Yep. John Mellencamp walking in. The guy's like 4'8". He's so <laughs> small. It's hilarious. But it was still a pretty cool brush with fame. My goodness, I have not lived a rock and roll lifestyle like Delphi Delph over here. No, you just got to jump on the bandwagon. Let's do it, man. It's not too late. It's not too <laughs> I'm late. old and tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do a shout out to our friends of the program, Bad Elf GPS. You can find them at bad-elf.com. Successfully developing high-accuracy GPS receivers for all-day data collection. Thanks to Dr. Nick Smolovsky and the Bad Elf team for their tech minute that is done right before our show each and every week. Mention that you heard about the Flex, which is our latest and greatest piece of hardware on the Geoholics and receive $100 off your purchase and an amazing fitted Bad Elf hat. Just make sure you get the right size. I'm still not wearing because I didn't get the right size. <laughs> and, and then we got Land Surveyors United, the largest global community of geomatics professionals on the internet with 17,000 members. Justin Farrow made a heck of a website, landsurveyorsunited.com. Take five minutes, visit, become a member. And he also made our Geoholics app. Yeah, the Geo so. app. Absolutely. Yeah, go there, download the app, and then all the episodes are right there at your fingertips. Pretty amazing. Next, we've got LiDAR News, the virtual home of the LiDAR industry. They strive to provide their readers and sponsors with the most current information about 3D laser scanning, LiDAR, unmanned aerial systems, and photogrammetry. The LiDAR News team focuses on the application of technology to solve 3D problems. Check them out at LiDARnews.com. And we got Parkland College, their land survey program in Champaign, Illinois. Champaign, yeah. In Illinois, they have two schedule options which provide opportunities both traditional and working adults to achieve a certificate or associate's degree in land surveying. They have been working with, speaking of Mellencamp, the Indiana Licensing Board to make sure their new land development design class meets their requirements for surveyors in Indiana, which I personally know is a tough test. Absolutely. Uh, it's a st- students are expected to participate in site design and produce a set of plans for proposed future projects. This also increases the course offerings to 27 hours, which wow. meets the edu- educational requirements for some other states besides Illinois. You can, Illinois, I just did it. Yep. <laughs> Illinois. Parkland.edu slash survey. PCC stepping up there. I know. And was, for for, you, for those of you that are uh, haven't listened to the last episode, episode 49, we learned a little bit about champagne. I know. <laughs> only, only in Champagne, <laughs> France. Exactly. All right. Next, we got Unifly. Scott Ohana and his team have developed a one-stop UAV shop. You're kidding yourself if you don't take 30 seconds to check them out. You can find them at unifli.arrow to find out more. And make sure you click on the How We Work link. How We Work, huh? Yep. Well, I did speak to Mr. Trent Keenan at Diamondback Land Surveying today. They are specializing in residential, commercial, and public work projects. Corporate offices located in Las Vegas, but they are licensed to work across the West. They're also proud sponsor and brand ambassadors of Get Kids Into Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, and GetKidsIntoSurveying.com. And rumor has it, Trent and a team of others are starting a Mentoring Monday thing that's coming up. It's going to be like an Instagram TV type thing. I think it has great promise. I don't know all the details, but trust me. Details to follow on that one. <laughs> Maybe an episode 
to promote unto itself exactly as they say all right next we got advanced geodetic survey inc you can find them at agsgps.com unbeatable deals on new and used equipment equipment rentals and supplies in fact if you go to agsgps.com forward slash shop and use the promo code geo15 you will save 15% off all regular price field supplies, accessories, and safety equipment. And sometimes we mention it, sometimes we don't. I don't think we mentioned it last time. They also rent Sherps. If you don't know what a Sherp is, go on YouTube, do a search for it, and uh, yeah, those guys rent those things. I really think we need to rent one and make a Geoholics video of us. <laughs> we should do trailer, that. Promotional Tra- trailer. Trying to break one or something like that. Yeah, we but, should do that. I love um, it. We also have Tiger Supplies, the surveying, construction, and engineering superstore with over 15,000 products featuring the top brands such as Leica, Topgon, Spectra, and much more. Tiger will get you the equipment you need to get the job done right. Use coupon code GEO15 for 15% off any Adair Pro item, including tripods, bipods, prisms, prism poles, flagging tape, survey markers, and much more. Also, don't forget to check out their YouTube page after you like and subscribe ours for yep. product videos, tips, and tricks. Dude, that's, that was fantastic. I don't think I could have pulled that off. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can pull this off. This is a new read. So uh, Cyanic Automation is also a friend of the program. If anyone is interested in some help running the day-to-day operations like collecting daily work records and timesheets in the field, automating invoicing, and searching jobs by maps and legal addresses, go check out Cyanic Automation's job book. It's software built for surveyors. Go to getjobbook.com, all one word, getjobbook.com, and see if it's something that would help your company. Tell them you heard about it from the Geoholics, and they will give you 20% off your first year subscription. You know what I feel like? Mm. Joe Biden reading off the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's right. I have no idea. All right. You know what? We're in, uh, back at the Beat Lab studio. Nice to have options. Beat Lab studio, Susu studio. Pretty soon we're going to have Helton. Uh, the weather's getting better, so things are looking up. The AC's working. Yep. Which is fantastic. Thanks to producer Jake for allowing us to be here and for his great hospitality. Muchly appreciate. Muchly? Is that a word? <laughs> muchly. Muchly appreciated. I'm going to say greatly appreciated. I'm going to go with muchly. I just made up a word, dude. <laughs> All right. Let's catch up with the boys. Producer Jake, what's up, man? How's it going, guys? Yeah, I had a little bit of an AC issue over the weekend, but we had to get that fixed here in the studio so that we can get back to recording because it was going to be way too hot. Um, actually, if there was going to be a day for the AC not to be working here in Arizona, it'd probably be today. This is like our biggest st- step down. Um, I walked the dog this morning. If you could see me right now, I'm in my quarter zip and some sweatpants. I was just down working from home. Um, it was actually kind of chilly today, so it was nice, cozy day outside, cloudy, but... Um, one thing we kind of been look, talking about a little bit this, this past summer is Jake's recommendations, TV recommendations. Yes, so, what you got? So I got one for you today. This is going to be an HBO one. I know we usually stick to Netflix, but if, if you have HBO, go for it. If you don't, definitely buy it. They got a lot of good stuff on there, but this is Class Action Park. Yes. I am so it, excited to watch this. Yeah. A- HBO documentary just came out a couple weeks ago. Really good. One of the really well done ones. It's about this water park that's in upstate New Jersey that basically just didn't have any rules and a lot of people got hurt there. And it was actually called Action Park, but the title of it, a lot of people called it Class Action because yeah. it got sued yeah, all the time. Right, and stuff. Yeah. But super well done if you guys are interested in that. Um, it's not like this boring documentary. They keep it really lively. Um, it's really good to check it out. From the previews, I saw that the guy could not get insurance, so he just made his own yes. insurance yeah, company. Yeah, not not to get too much into it, but that was like it one was of the totally biggest. Fictitious. Yeah, this guy was like this total like kind of like Wall Street like shyster kind of guy who kind of made yeah. all this stuff work. But That's awesome. Yeah. So did Ryan? Did you hear about this? I mean, I, I saw the preview. Of but it. when you were younger, didn't you, you were over no, there? No, I'm not that old. <laughs> Oh, I guess you're not. Yeah, yeah. That would be like that was, that was before yeah, I, I, me. That I guess was, I just group you guys together. Yeah. Thanks. It's it's just to, give me an extra 20 years. It's easy, it's easy to do. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, that, that one hurt just a little bit. Yeah, but it's a good one. Check it out if you can. Um, I know like the Jackass guys did a little bit on it, too. I'm going to have to follow up on that. Yeah. yeah, there was a movie Johnny Knoxville did where, hmm. like I told you, he 
got hurt more making that movie than any of the Jackass movies, wow. which is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but I think it was I think something it's along. Very it was like close. action something. Exactly. I think it was action it might point have been like, or something like that. I think that's exactly what it is, action point. Yeah, but we'll figure it out. And I'll, anyways, watch, I'll watch them both. Yeah, check that out. Let, let us know what you think, and uh, I'll come back uh, maybe a couple more episodes, and we'll have another recommendation. It's, it's, it's a good one. I watched it, and it brought back some memories of my youth, for sure. And let, let's not forget a little uh, preview for next week's episode. I know Jake has suggested this in the past, but make sure you watch Chasing Bubbles at least three times before next week's episode. Yeah, so that's going to be a YouTube documentary. You don't need to have anything. You just pull up. It's right on YouTube, so you don't have to pay for it. No you got to check that one out. Yep. Yep. Uh, that, so. Yeah, that, that one I'm going to have to do a refresher on. Yeah, me too. Um, boys, I hit oh, 35. No. <laughs> Uh-oh. Again? I went on the trampoline with Hudson. You know, he's a geoholic and all. I woke up, I literally woke up in the middle of the night. My knee was locked up. I was like, I'm dying. You can't, I, you can't I told, do that shit I told anymore. my wife, I'm like, 35, it's all downhill. I'm dead. I'm dying. It's over. And <laughs> I had to break it to Hudson. I'm like, you got to find some friends or something to go on this trampoline. I can't do it anymore. Uh, so that, that was my. Uh, Bad excitement for the week. Uh, I did my fantasy football draft yesterday. Didn't go as well as planned, but I did get Travis Kelsey. So mm. I, I, TK. Tried to, I tried to make Jake proud. Yep, yep. Jake will tell you that he will carry your team the entire season. Yeah, Very sure. good guy. Other than that, well, I had Kittle last year. He did the, the did the trick. But other than that, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to survive and Ugh. get by. What about you, Kent? Well, I'm boycotting the NFL. I know that. We all know that, right? So no fantasy football this year. Even though I won last year. I'm like, guys, I know you want me to come back and defend my title, blah, 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 but I am anti-professional sports right now, to be honest <laughs> with you. We don't need to get into that, though, because we don't talk politics. We don't talk religion. So anyways, um, my weekend, remember I mentioned last episode that uh, I had a boys weekend planned, which worked out unbelievably well. I'm just going to give you some highlights here. If you guys want to talk about them in more detail, we can, but <laughs> it was crazy. So my buddy, uh, John Hafkan Hansen, I've mentioned him before on the show. I picked him up at the airport Thursday mid-morning about 1130. He, he, uh, he, he, you know, he comes to the curb. He's got his, my name is Hafkan, and I am a geoholic <laughs> t-shirt on, right? You think he wore that on the plane the whole ride in? He or? did. He did. No, wow. Yes, he did. Wow. You, you yeah. can't miss that bright yellow shirt. Yeah. So he sh- I, pick up, I pick him up, and he's got that on. So right away, we're off to a good start. And then we surprised him by picking up Glensky, our other high school buddy. And the plan was, okay, I picked John up, you know, South si- South Curb, Terminal 3, East End. I told Glensky, okay, listen, I'm picking up John there. You go on the West End. So it worked out absolutely perfectly. Picked up John. He gets in the car. We're driving, you know, down the path or whatever to get out of there. And all of a sudden, there's Glenn standing there with his, you know, his cane and everything. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, there's Glenn Abramowski. And John's like, what the? He, I mean, his mind was freaking blown. So we pull up to we pull up to Glenn. I roll down the window. Of course, he's blind. So I'm like, Glenn, Glenn. And he goes, are you my, is this my Uber driver? And I'm like, no, this is Kent. He goes, Kent, what the hell are you doing here? And of course, John's so freaked out. John's like, and John Hansen and Glenn's like, "What, John Hansen? What the hell are you doing here?" And I'll, you know, we long story short, we're like, "Hey, we're going on a boys' weekend." Blah blah blah. What do you got going on? He's like, "I just got a call. All my meetings were canceled for the week. <laughs> I got nothing going on." So I'm like, "Hop in, let's go, man!" <laughs> so he hops in the car, you know, just like nut- John is in the front seat, absolutely freaked out. His mind is completely blown. So we drive from there up to. Um, Sedona. Or, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Jerome. Prescott. Prescott. Oh. Prescott. We stopped by and, and to see, say hi to my mom up there. And because my mom knows both those guys and my mom knew what was going on. So we had to let John know. But we could we could have let this whole thing ride all weekend long. So I got to tell you about this real quick. Visit my mom in Prescott Valley. Awesome. Drove up to Jerome, which for those of you that don't know, it's like an hour up into the mountains. A um, couple highlights from that journey was we met the wolf and transient Tony. Okay. <laughs> I got That's my, a good name. I got my backpack of sins removed at the asylum, <laughs> uh, fittingly, uh, which, which I'm told means that I was more pure at that point in time than I was the day I was born. So things are looking up, right? This is looking Jer- up. This Much is more than today. This is all in Jerome. Much yeah. more all in than Jerome. today. Yep, yep. So we spent the night in an awesome Airbnb in uh, Jerome. Million dollar view. It was unbelievable. And I do remember... 
that the night, you know, the night we stayed there, um, everybody congregates on these steps in the in the center of town, right? Like all the locals and people and stuff like that. So we're sitting on the steps. In I the think center this is where town. transient Tony comes in. <laughs> we got we got the wolf. This guy's a freaking maniac. He's a, he's a local guy. And then transient Tony's there, and I get to be good friends with transient Tony, and I'm like. Tony, I'm like, hey, we're going to breakfast at Randall's in Cottonwood tomorrow morning. We'll be there at nine. Feel free to join us. I mean, just kind of a drunken stupor type thing, right? <laughs> so we get up the next day. We head to Cottonwood. We show up at Randall's, and who's there? Tony. Transient Tony. Transient Tony's there. So I bought Transient Tony breakfast. It was awesome. We had a great breakfast. Took the scenic route up to Sedona. Uh, went to the Church in the Rocks. Went up to Flagstaff. And... Uh, it was it was just it was amazing. Had the best breakfast burrito ever. Saturday morning, drove back down the scenic route to Pine, checked out the new tiny cabin, had a beer at the uh, old co- county inn, met my new favorite bartenders Chris and Katie, and then drove down the hill back to Phoenix. Man, what a weekend! Man. It was fantastic. It was absolutely amazing. I, I know I got a little reliving winded there. it. Got a little winded there. There's more that we could talk about, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it at that, boys. <laughs> That was that was the the short version. That was a short of version of your weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness! Just just remember the wolf and transient Tony. We can talk about that later. The wolf like uh, wasn't what was Game uh, of Thrones? Or Res- no. Reservoir Dogs. It's wolf or no Pulp Fiction. W U dot dot L F. Oh German. Yes, German. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yep. yep. Well, let's get to the uh, safety apparel safety share. Shall we? You should. Matthew Stansberry has developed the best safety vest on the planet also known as the Party Chief. You can find them at safetyapparel.us. Uh, we're going to talk about some hard hat safety. Did you need a hard hat this weekend up in Jerome? I could have used one. Yeah? <laughs> well, all right. So hard hats should be inspected before every use, looking for holes, cracks, or any sign of damage. Kind of a no-brainer. Uh, avoid dropping, throwing, or using your helmet to sit on. <laughs> or as support. Again, a no-brainer. Never store thing. personal belongings, such as cigarettes or earplugs, in between the suspension or shell. The object, These objects can transmit a large force to the head and neck, causing serious injury or death. I don't know about cigarettes doing that, but... That's not good. They'll kill you another way. Completely avoid using paint, solvents, or hydrocarbon-type cleaners. These substances can, ta- ugh, can cause unnoticeable damage. When you're done with your helmet for the day, store it in clean, dry area that does not exceed 120 degrees Fahrenheit. So nowhere in the state. It's hard in Arizona this time of year. Uh, Establish and maintain a replacement program for your hard hats and or all PPE. Keep detailed purchase records and damage reports to keep track of equipment life cycles. Yes, hard hats do expire. They do expire. There's a date on them, actually. I did not know that until about, I don't know, five years ago or so. They're like milk. Yeah, they are kind of like milk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It made me think of something. Falling objects can be brutal if you don't protect your noodle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, he had a long weekend. <laughs> uh, that's great, right? All right, let's uh, let's welcome our guest in tonight. We have Wilson Phillips with us. Let me tell you a little bit about Wilson. Not the band, the legend, surveyor from Canada. Born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and he's going to freak out that I know this, but home of the Forks, Winnie the Pooh, and the A. Sam Stompers. I don't know. We're going to get to him in here in a minute. Did, didn't they draft Asham, Shane I'm sorry, Jones I said A. Sam. Asham Stamp, Stompers. Uh, yeah, Asham Stompers. Didn't Winnipeg draft Shane Doan? Did they? Yeah, yeah, they did. They did, actually, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. they moved here. Yep, 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 exactly. And Wilson was raised on a dairy farm in Manitoba. He attended university for a year in agriculture, dropped out to work, then returned to college to study geomatics. His hobbies are mostly reading and golf, some shinny in the winter. I'm not sure what that is, but we'll find out. Renovating his house, and uh, he's got three kids, so there's always something going on. He's been surveying since 1992 and currently runs a small surveying and land development firm in Winnipeg with about five employees. One item to note is he was chair of the of Professional Surveyors Canada for a couple of years, and he had the honor, H-O-N-O-U-R, to appear with the very talented friend of the program, Michael Thompson, in front of their Senate committee regarding underground infrastructure mapping. So Wilson, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the Geoholics, my friend. Well, thanks for the invite. Thank you very much. Cheers to you, fellas. (laughs) 
<laughs> we love it. We love it. How's uh, if we ask everybody this until it's gone, I guess. How's uh, COVID nineteen uh, treating you these days? Are you guys about ready to get past it up there? Are you still locked down? What's going on? Uh, no, we're not still locked down uh, in Manitoba, which is uh, sort of straight north of North Dakota. Uh, we s- sort of have sort of restrictions, like our office is closed to the public, but you can still make an appointment and stuff like that. More hand sanitizing, that kind of stuff. The outbreak isn't as bad in Manitoba, or it hasn't been as bad. We're going through a little bit of an uptick right now in some regions, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I like it. That's that's a good way to sum it up. What are you going to do? Uh, so we appreciate that. So Canada has, my understanding, a population of about 38 million people. And there's, what, how many, how many different provinces are there? 13. Is there 13? Yeah, 10 provinces. Oh, 10, 10 I was territories. so close. Oh, I was close. Well, yeah. three territories now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just went over this with Hudson the other day. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> so you're in Manitoba, and uh, what's the population? There about 1.4 million, is my understanding. Yep, that's right. Yep, sound about just right. About everybody lives in the Winnipeg capital region area, which is about seven, eight hundred thousand people. Oh wow! Other than that, it's pretty remote, huh? Northern Manitoba uh, is pretty remote. It depends on where you go. We got a lot of uh, before COVID. We had a lot of uh, Americans come to go fishing up there. That's a big tourism thing at Absolutely. all of the places. A lot of yeah. guys from Minnesota, Wisconsin, yep. uh, Texas. Lots of uh, the lodges up there are pretty uh, packed. But now with COVID, I guess they're going to be pretty restricted. Mm, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's another. It's Canadian Shield and mostly it's like there's 100,000 lakes in northern Manitoba. Gotcha. Just in northern Manitoba, 100,000 lakes. So there's a million lakes to go to. There's There's lots of places to like for outdoorsy kind of fishing kind of stuff, sure. but it's remote. Probably uh, bear hunting as well, right? Bear hunting, uh, northern Manitoba, because you get onto Hudson's Bay. Uh, there's uh, polar bears up in Churchill because you're on the ocean. Yep. So we go from an elevation of about, you know, 230 in Manitoba, which is north of, well, in, in feet, that'd be like 780 or so. Yep. And then you get go down to the ocean. It's at zero, of course. Oh, wow. And then, uh, so there's lots of variety of stuff in Manitoba. Have you spent you time? You off some pretty good stuff. I got you, uh, <laughs> you got the Ashman Stompers even and everything. That's pretty, I'm pretty impressed there, Ken. Do you know those guys? I don't know them. I've seen their, uh, their uh, dancing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's addictive. I've watched it on YouTube. Uh, well, Ashman, of course, the from uh, the curling supplies, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Um, so have you spent, have you spent time like you like way up North in the province? Oh yeah. I've spent uh first part of my career. I went uh, up North. I worked at a place called Red Sucker Lake, which is basically sort of North and East of, of Manitoba or at Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stayed there for a few months right out of school. Like my one of my first jobs, I was up there serving. Been all through the North Lac, Rocher, Chant, uh, Thompson, Churchill, yeah. to Dooley, everywhere at the Paw. Gotcha. Lots of stuff. What? What? Um, so I'm, I'm I'm curious. Your credentials are MLS and CLS. What What do those mean exactly? So MLS is Manitoba Land Surveyor, which kind of gets kind of confusing because multiple listing service is sort of the same yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're selling yeah. me a yeah, house. Like Mike, uh, yeah. Thompson in Alberta is an ALS, which is an okay. okay. anagram. Uh, but we're working on trying to maybe move that to a different uh, nationally to a different uh, anagram. But uh, the MLS is Manitoba Land Surveyor, and can- and CLS is Canada Land Surveyors. So Manitoba Land Surveyor is like if you were like Arizona state licensed. Yep. Canada Land Surveyor is like uh, your like a CFED. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. Kinda, kinda. Kind of. Yeah. Yep. So if you could, you go and could you survey in Alberta? On federal crown lands, yeah. Hmm. Oh boy. I probably that's, wouldn't. It's a whole different world than we. Unless no. you're working like right within uh, a federal lands, like a Admiralty yeah. lands or. First Nations lands or something like that, or on a on a defense base or something like that. Interesting. Uh, that's where we keep the canoes, and uh, <laughs> we. Uh, if I did that, then I could. Okay. But generally, people don't move from province to province to work on federal lands. It's like curlers. You don't want to go from province to province. You got to stick in one. <laughs> I guess. How how familiar are you with uh, Quebec? Quebec, yeah. Uh, not very familiar. I know a lot of people from Quebec. I, yeah. And a 
lovely province. You should visit there, yeah. I did when I was younger. I went, I went, as you, when you said canoe, it just struck my mind. I went to a place called Shibugamu. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. In, in, Are you making this up? No. How could, how could I make this one up? It was north of Montreal. Shibugaku. Sh- Shibugamu. It was like the lake. Where we went fishing for Northern Pike. Yes, Northern yes. Pike and, yeah. and Muskie. Yeah, when I was when I was like ten years ten. old, we went and did this, and then we went into Montreal. Oh, and it was my dad, my brother, my uncle, and myself. Yeah. and we parked the truck at some hotel in Montreal, and we were like, "Oh, what are we going to do with the canoes? We don't want them to get stolen or whatever." The manager of the hotel we stayed at literally had us carry them into his office. Oh, jeez. So <laughs> that awesome. that Canadian uh, friendliness. People don't steal things in Canada. I, we hey, they were. Wor- I was ten years old. What did I know? I just went <laughs> along with it. I carried the oh, I carried the great. canoe. That was it. I that's, fished. I had a good time. That's awesome. So Wilson, here in the states, we got a problem. Um, I'm just curious if you guys have the same thing going on there. Um, as far as surveyors go, you know, there's. It's, I don't want to say we're a dying breed, but. There's not a lot of young people getting into the profession, and you know the average age of a surveyor in the states is like 60 years old. Do you guys experience the same thing up there? Yeah, we went through that uh, probably about 10 years ago. So there was a demographic sort of shift, and every profession has gone through that. And I was when I was going across Canada as TSC chair, I was trying to address that a little bit in that. Uh, every profession goes through that where there, there's a, a, a vertical incline until people get to enter their 60s and then it rapidly drops off because you have to have new people coming in. Some professions are worse than others. I don't think ours has been, you feel it when you're in that and you sort of think, oh, well, it's just our profession, but it's actually doctors, nurses, EMTs, hmm. uh, age out, you know, in their 50s and stuff like that. So there's a lot of specialty uh, people and or specialized professions or specialized skill set people, and they go through that. I mean, surveying has went through that just because the nature of the way that it uh, our profession works. In Canada, it's a little bit different than, than in the United States, from what I can tell, but I don't know the United States that well. Uh, ours has gone through a pretty rapid shift now to uh, uh, to getting more younger. I mean, some areas of the country, Ontario, is still relatively old but it's rapidly changing and uh one on one of your podcasts there you guys were talking about that uh with the guy from washington and the other mm-hmm. like things from wisconsin or something yep uh and they were talking about you know education standards and stuff like that and how the demographics is changing and trying to get into schools and stuff and so we've gone through those machinations in canada uh, quite a bit, you know, guys that say, well, we got to get into the high schools, we got to get into the universities, we got to get promoting stuff. And mm. all that stuff has an effect, but you got to do a lot to get a very small rate of return. So what what's worked for you guys then? I, I don't think uh, the best, overall, the best uh, way to get somebody attracted to your profession is for your profession to be successful. If you have a growing business and you have those people coming in, and a lot of the people that are in every profession, but especially surveying, you're generally att- attracting young men and women in their 20s uh, to get into a profession and then move, graduate. You know, not every one of them is going to become a professional surveyor and not every one of them wants to. Right. But if you have a big enough pool and that business is growing, then you have that pool of talent. Uh, it's no different than in every other profession too. If you don't have those, that seed group that's in there, uh, you don't have the people that will eventually grow up and, and do that sort of thing. I'll give you an example. In Manitoba, it used to be in, in my province, when I was going through in 92, uh, if you wanted to become a professional in Canada, you either had to go to Ontario and become an Ontario or Quebec or New Brunswick, which is on the East Coast, or Calgary on the in in Alberta, and what would end up happening is all of our and it was mostly young men, but there was young women too. They go out to Calgary to get their degree. Well, if they're twenty something years old, and they're going to university, you know what they do? They meet somebody, mm. and that somebody lives there. Yep. And then they don't come back. Interesting. So. I think that the, the focus in, in Canada, certainly my friend uh, Mike Perret, who I used to work with, 
has done a lot of work on this in Canada, uh, where we've decided this is, we're at a conference in Calgary and uh, I think it was in Banff actually, about, I'm going to say five, six years ago, we were talking about, and uh, one of the, the Greg, the, uh, the host, we were talking about MOOCs and how if somebody is like working in remote Canada, how are they supposed to get a degree? Hmm. How are they supposed to get trained? Yep. They're not going to move to Calgary. They can't afford that. The flight just from, took, you know, even from Arviat to get to a, a a city in southern Canada is a couple thousand dollars. So l l let me interrupt you for just a second. Is Calgary the only like post-secondary education opportunity that uh, folks in Canada have? No, sorry, I wasn't very clear there. I can't. Uh, that was what existed in my province because we didn't have the gotcha. uh, degree program here. Yep. And so that's all changed now. You can do BCIT, which is out of uh, Vancouver. Gotcha. And you can do online yep. courses now to work towards a degree. So it's changed a lot. And so now you have a different way to attract people. Gotcha. Young people. Yep. I just have to say it. A boot. Sorry. A boot. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. I'll tell you what. I, I say it all the time. If I could figure out a way to live in Canada three months out of the year, count me in. Figure it out. That's what I say. Figure, figure it out. out. <laughs> 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 oh, I love it. So, so uh, to become a uh, a licensed surveyor in the different provinces, is there different educational requirements by province, or is it the same across the board? Uh, uh, no. Yes and no. Okay. So I'll give you the short answer. In Quebec, if you want to become a, a land surveyor, you pretty much have to go to the University of Laval. Okay. okay? Yep. Just you just have to. You have to be fluent in French, and not just fluent in French. You got to be good in French, if you want to become a uh, land surveyor in Quebec. You can still get like uh, through our what's called the uh, Agreement on Internal Trade. So back in the '90s, our federal government came out and said, "Look, we want to make sure that if a doctor's trained in BC, they can go work in Quebec or in New Brunswick." And so the federal government stepped in and said, "Look, we we want to uh, encourage the professions." to find commonality in their, in their training so that uh, they will come to a more reasonable place. Yep. So that you can, if, a, if a, let's say an EMT or land surveyor or a doctor or a nurse gets trained in one jurisdiction, they can reasonably move to another jurisdiction. And so that was the impetus. And so we've gone a long ways now. So if you're a technician and you're working in, let's say my province in Manitoba and you want to work your way to becoming a land surveyor, just want to be a recognized technician, uh, you have a way to do that now all across Canada, hmm. but especially for professionals now. So if, if you're a professional in one province, when I go to another province, uh, I don't have to article, although I would recommend articling, but I have to write a challenge exam, which is usually about a three hour exam. You guys take this whole thing a heck of a lot serious, more serious than we do here. They got to figure it out, man, I'm telling you. I just feel like the the three of us, well, Jake excluded, the two of us are kind of like, we sound like jokers, and then Wilson is so professional. I know it. it, it, it I is, don't know uh, about that. It is, it's like embarrassing. Well, I, mean, I mean, honestly, though, I mean, I think surveyors, and we've, we've mentioned this a time or two in the past on different podcasts, I think surveyors are held at a little different, maybe a little higher regard. Elsewhere. Elsewhere, yeah. I mean, it's so interesting to me. It really is. It, it's geomatics across the board i think i agree yeah for sure so it's a little, it's a little disheartening but that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's an issue that we've talked about in, in in canada too was uh the expanded profession and the role like gis people and stuff like that mm -hmm. we've had a lot of discussions across canada the feds have put money into having uh, conferences on the topic uh and recognizing that spatial awareness like this is it's getting more and more and more uh those type of people that are doing that kind of mapping or doing any kind of thing and the metadata associated with it, that the public has a, uh, a degree of trust that they're putting into these things that are giving them the numbers yep. that you need to have somebody that's trained and, and knows what they're doing. Like, yeah, absolutely. No question. So I'm curious, I know like in Alberta, for example, you know, forestry, oil and gas, you know, those were, uh, you know, some, uh, some industries that were thriving. Um, you know, what, what is it in uh, Manitoba? So in Manitoba, we have oil and gas in the southwest corner of our province, which is the Bracken Ridge uh, uh, development as well. But it's not as much as, let's say, North Dakota. North Dakota is going 
North and South Dakota, I guess mm -hmm. more North Dakota is really going wild with the uh, fracking and stuff like that. Right. So we've seen a boom in that. In Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, the oil and gas industry has really taken a hit, um, mostly because we had a lot of uh, discussions about pipelines, about uh, hydrocarbons, you know, the public's perception and the reality are vastly different. Um, certainly, uh, it's had an effect. We, it's very hard to get uh, pipelines approved. Hmm. So that's had an effect. The, um, a lot of our stuff is shipped to you. So everything that comes out of Alberta goes to the U.S. And you'll be familiar with Barack Obama and the Keystone XL pipeline. Yep. And then Trump approved it. And I don't want to get into pol politics, but all that affects us. And when we can't put stuff to a tidewater, yep. then we can't ship, which bottlenecks the pipeline, which means that you can't actually create stuff. And for the environmentalists, that's a great idea. Uh, it's not, well, whatever. You can have an opinion one way or the other of it, uh, but it, it does have an effect. So when the oil prices collapsed and the uh, uh, forestry, we routinely have a dispute going on with the United States with regard to forestry. Uh, it really affects everybody that works in our profession, for sure. Right. Um, so I'm not familiar with the, the climate in Winnipeg. Is it, are you, are you working all year long? Are you um, basically uh, locked down in your house three months out of the year because there's four feet of snow? How does that work for you? Are you COVIDed snow-wise every yeah, year? Right. <laughs> I tell you that, you know, if, if we go outside, the polar bears get us. So uh, <laughs> we really have to be careful. Uh, that, but that's not know, a joke, right? Pretty, pretty resilient. That, that's not a joke, right? I mean, you guys seriously have to be worried about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We don't have any polar bears here. But, uh, <laughs> you got, uh, it gets cold here. Like, it's like North Dakota, right? It's very, very similar. The people are very similar. Uh, if you took Grand Forks or Fargo and you transplanted the people from Winnipeg into Fargo and the people for, from Grand Forks into Winnipeg, you really wouldn't notice that much of a difference. They're very nice people. They're very nice people all around. I mean, I love where I live, but it does get bloody cold here. And uh, the good thing about it is you don't need artificial ice. I feel like it's a don't <laughs> you, you make know. ice in your backyard pretty damn easy. So a lot of uh, skaters, a lot of curlers. That's awesome. Um, I did want to mention one thing. If I remember right, was it was like 1997 when there were like some massive floods in Winnipeg. Is that about right? That's right. Yeah. That, and North Dakota got it too. And I remember, uh, Grand Forks, uh, there was a lot of fires there. The, uh, yeah. So in, in the fifties, we had a, a mayor named Duff Roblin and, uh, or a, a premier named Duff Roblin. And they decided to make what was called Duff's ditch, which we call our Winnipeg floodway. And it's basically a big ditch around Winnipeg. The, the big, it's basically a big ditch connected to the, the red river, which is a lar very large river. And that really protected Winnipeg. Like in the 50s, when that when we had the original flood, uh, there was areas of Winnipeg that had, you know, 10 feet of water in it. Mm. And in 97, we had none. We had low-lying areas that did flood, but most of the diking held. There was overlying flooding that came from uh, North Dakota uh, that we blocked off with another temporary dike, which became a permanent dike. Mm. And it, so we survived it okay, I guess you'd say. Our friends in North Dakota, not as much. Oh, wow. But as a result of that flooding in 1997, you guys had like this huge like building of dikes project, right? Yeah, it was huge. Massive. Massive yeah, and, earth and moving other, project. And other diversions too. Like there was, it was, it was pretty rapid. Yeah. So in Manitoba, it's all uh, what we call gumbo, a mixture of clay and topsoil. So they were making earthen dikes all over the place as fast as they could, basically for the overland flooding, because you had all the snow melt coming in and the rivers are already full. So it wasn't going to go anywhere. It's going to all get channeled into one area coming basically north to Winnipeg. Wow. And so they had uh, the hydrologist and our forecaster at the time, and his name escapes me, uh, a brilliant fella. He's retired now. He worked for the province. And uh, we, we, we greatly benefited by uh, his and his team's skill of forecasting flood levels. That, that, that is knowing elevation and knowing the speed with which precipitation is going to run off and cause flooding. Uh, you need a lot of monitoring, a lot of monitoring, and you need it right effing now. Yep. You can't be waiting. When, when you live in a floodplain, you need that data. 
And so I'm thankful to him and uh, to his team because they did a great job uh, managing that as best we could. And all the engineering and surveying companies here uh, were actively involved and uh, did a lot of stuff to help people. So did you guys kind of pull your resources together to make things happen? Yes. Uh, yes and no. Most of the stuff was standard uh, contracts from government. Uh, of course, most of the large firms did most of the stuff, hmm. uh, but everybody pulled their weight, did their did their thing. I mean, a lot of the stuff in 97, the water was coming up so quickly. We I remember we were doing a survey south of Winnipeg and they told the guy to build the dike like two feet high by his house. Uh, by that evening, it had already been up to two feet high. Oh, my so, gosh. Uh, if you're a sandbag in your house and you were predicting this is how many sandbags I needed, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty stressful. So That's I feel crazy. for all those people. But well, now everybody, if you want to build a, a house in the flood in the floodplain now, you're either building it on a on a little man-made mountain or you're building a ring dike around your house. But they <laughs> they, they keep doing diversion projects. So. Wow, what's oh. the basis of elevation for you guys? Uh, for us, yeah, it's the same as like what, what, what our elevations are based off of. Yeah, so most of the traditional stuff uh, we go from what we call CVGD, CVGD twenty seven NAD twenty seven or not NAD twenty seven, uh, a geodetic elevation that's referenced to whatever an old one. <laughs> yeah, and now we're transforming uh, all of that, so all of our stuff will go the same way as the Americans. Oh, cool. Okay, so that's a big deal you for guys, you guys, sorry. right? <laughs> That's a big yeah, deal. We'll for go guys. to the 2022 model or whatever, which will be a geodetic ellipsoidal height. Yeah. So it'll be the North American terrestrial reference frame of 2022, which I understand is now going to be like 2024. <laughs> Darn COVID again. Yeah, exactly. Strikes Damn again. COVID. So one thing I know you're very passionate about is um, infrastructure mapping, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. This is very interesting to me since I recently accepted a position with a company called Cobb Fenley and subsurface utility engineering is what we specialize in. So talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, so uh, what got me interested in it really was uh, I was working a number of years ago on a First Nations reserve in northern Manitoba and uh, the system there really sucks. Like there's mm. no, there's no people put in infrastructure and then I don't know where it is. Yeah. And uh, sewers require maintenance, uh, and they don't really, uh, you can't just leave a sewer to do its thing and <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so when I was doing this topographic survey, I started questioning people like, where's the data for this sewer? Where's the gas line? Where's the hydro? Where's, the, where's all this stuff? I don't know. I don't know where it is. And that's more a function of our federal system with uh, reserves, which are horribly lacking. Uh, but then I started looking into it uh, more with just about all these problems that we were having, especially in Winnipeg, we had a company called TerraSpan that was burying fiber optic cable right on property lines, hmm. like right on property lines wow. and bring it like a foot deep. They, you know, instead of going to a round thing like this, they had a vertical thing like that, that they're burying it. And they didn't care where they were putting it because the law let them do it. Wow. So uh, telecommunications companies were, will, were and still are the worst offenders for these kind of things. And telecommunications is remarkably important. If I have a heart attack and my wife picks up the phone and wants to call somebody uh, and there's no dial tone, people don't understand if there's no dial tone, they don't care why there's no dial tone. This happened in, in Australia where they just lost internet and, and uh, 911 and all kinds of phone service because of some contractor hit a line that wasn't yeah. supposed to be there. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable anymore. And so I, I, I sort of follow what the uh, some European just jurisdictions have really compartmentalized their, their right of ways and said, OK, well, your gas is going to be here and your telecommunications. Is gonna, this is all planned out beforehand before you even put in a new right of way. Yep. So those infrastructures will be where they're supposed to be. In, in Manitoba, we had burying gas lines. You know, it's supposed to be a meter off the property line and it goes like this. It's on the guy's property line. Yep. Um, that's not acceptable. Like it, it, for the landowner, uh, they should have a reasonable notification that if somebody buried something on their property, especially without their knowledge. So we've been trying to push for regulation, stuff like that. I think uh, you guys may, I think you guys have talked to Jeff Sice yet. Eh? No, not yet. 
Not yet. Mm -hmm. He's a very smart man on it. Yep. Written, uh, just written a white paper with that uh, regarding that. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of struggle with the same thing here in the States. I mean, you always hear stories about, you know, people hitting gas lines or whatever, even like aging gas lines um, failing, right? Mm -hmm. There's just, the records are so poor across North America for um, for utilities. It's, it, it's unbelievable to me. It really is. I, I was at a conference, the CGA conference in uh, Tampa Bay two years ago, and they were talking about problems there and I mean, things are improving. There's a, things will get more electronic, like with um, this company out of Colorado, I can't remember the name, Point Man, I think it is, that uh, really is going more towards the uh, electronic mapping. It's still not the AR modeling uh, that we're going to get to. Yep. There's a couple uh, outfits, uh, one out of, uh, I want to say Duluth, Minnesota. Mm -hmm that I met when I was down there. They do great work. And there's a company here in, in uh, Toronto, outside of Toronto, uh, called uh, VGIS, which does uh, AR mapping or AR modeling and stuff. Yeah, I think that technology is going to just, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's going to change the fabric of uh, locating utilities across North America. I really do believe that. Yeah, it will. For sure. Especially with, uh, like, pushing data is so important now and i know your country has been really pushing the 5g stuff yep and 5g isn't just 4g on on steroids it's a, it's another level of data transmission like so transformative it'll be uh it's gonna be pretty remarkable good time to be alive yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's good and it could be scary at the same time, you know. Um, I think that's going to allow, like, for example, I it's my understanding that whatever, iPhone 12 or whatever is going to have, like, a LiDAR scanner on it, basically, um, which is, in my opinion, that's game-changing. That's <laughs> going to be unfreaking believable Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to hear a tap here because I'm going to crack another one for you. Ah, I like it. See, I, I got producer Jake. He, he pre-taps mine. <laughs> oh, it's part of my job description. He he's producer slash bartender. Uh, well, so okay. Great. So uh, when it comes to Canada, I, I, we've talked about it. Uh, the concerns of where the profession's heading. Um, presently, where you're at, you kind of mentioned that. What, what's what's the plan for the future? Is there is there something to really promote the profession and get this thing growing? Yeah, so uh, I've done some work with uh, um, uh, the board at PSC, which is basically people all across Canada working on this issue. And uh, when I was chair, and Mike uh, Thompson's taken over now, but there's a group of people that are, and they're all mostly young people and some more older and sager people, uh, from the profession who are really working hard on it, uh, trying to uh, change the way people perceive surveyors and see them more as professionals and see them as necessary. And because they don't really think of it, they think of surveyor and they think of the guy on the side of the road looking through the camera, you know, like you get that complaint quite a bit from yep. in the profession. But that is a malaise that we need to break because it, if we don't tell our stories, nobody else is going to tell our stories. So, and there are a lot of damn cool stories to tell. Yeah, for sure. So through PSC working uh, like with everybody across Canada, we've tried to change the perception of that. Part of that perception was uh, moving to like, you know, and one of the issues that you don't have in the States, sometimes you do, like in, I, maybe you can explain to me, but in the States, most of you are PLSs, right? Professional land surveyors, but um, some are yeah, I mean, yes. it, it, yeah, it's, I mean, keep, keep in mind, we have a number of states with a number of different um, acronyms, I guess. So like in Arizona, it's registered land surveyor. Some states are professional land surveyors. Some states are just land surveyors. So um, yeah. we're, we're all over the place. Yeah. And so in Canada, we have the same problem. So all of our stuff was sort of provincially based. So we have Canada lands surveyors. So you're working on Canada lands, just kind of confusing the public and then you have uh like me mls als ols all these different things and the the public in that sphere understands it sort of 
only in terms of the regulatory thing. So we've decided to go to the, the acronym PSERV. So P.SERV, like P.ENG is what mm. we use in Canada for engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're going through the machinations of that process and it's going to take a number of years to do. But that's part of changing what we present to the public so that they can make an informed decision coming back. We can't talk Klingon to them, yeah. right? If we, we keep talking inside baseball to the public, the public. <laughs> yeah. It, let me ask you this. Make it easy for them to understand. Exactly. And that kind of goes along with this question that just came to mind. So in the States, unfortunately, there's been talk of deregulation. Is there anything like, have you heard of anything like that happening in Canada? Uh, no, uh, the closest we've come, I mean, there are issues in Canada because we're all self-regulated bodies. Mm -hmm. We come under different legislations. Like in Manitoba, we have what's called the Fair Registrations Act. Okay. And we have to prove to government every year that we're not, we're not doing anything to restrict the, the development of new talent coming into the profession. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair. Uh, that's a fair thing. Uh, but every, every region is it's not a federally mandated thing. So in Manitoba, you have to get licensed in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, you have to get licensed in Saskatchewan. And uh, generally it works, but it, it, there are some issues with it. Sure. Um, not, not to that extent. Yeah, no, that, that brings me to my next question. Is land subdivided the same across all provinces or is it different from province to province? So... In Western Canada, generally the land, original land ownership systems were very similar to what you'd find in, in the United States. So uh, more of a rectangular type thing. Yeah, into sections and yep. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Except yep. for, like in Manitoba, we have the river lot system. So originally they were French, uh, basically Catholic people. And they had, you know, there's a, uh, how to describe it. You have a river and you have these long narrow lots going away from the river because that was the primary mode of transportation and then mm -hmm. they put a road adjacent to the river and then they put another road two miles out so you end up with these different systems of survey but the basic stuff but i mean it probably works similar to what you guys do there mm -hmm. uh, some of our systems are a little bit older i guess like there's more history of stuff yep. in ontario they have different issues and in, in um uh, the East Coast, they have a lot more deeded lands, uh, so there's issues with those. Yep. We don't have a lot of deeded land. Like in Manitoba, there might be maybe 1% now that's deeded land. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, like there's there are certain uh, states here in uh, in the U.S. where they're meets and bounds states, and the description could read something like, you know, going to old Farmer John's mailbox. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's crazy. Yeah, we, we used to have those, but most of that yeah. is gone. Yeah, that's good. Most of it is gone. It's been replaced by plans. That's good. That's good. So yeah, let, a very secure title here. So let me ask you this: what What are you most excited about, and what concerns you the most uh, as it relates to surveying in Canada moving forward? Uh, well, I guess the my my biggest passion is getting the profession to move more into a more expanded profession mode. Like you can't just keep i think one of your guests on two podcasts earlier was speaking about that where you have this sort of hey there's a nice little doggy uh <laughs> the uh where you can't sort of keep looking inward you have to sort of look outward right and i think there's opportunities there for expanded roles and expanded profession and so that's sort of my area of focus with mm -hmm. with regard to like underground infrastructure mapping or attracting new people into the profession yep. i think those are areas that are important for us uh, in Canada, but I mean, there's always stuff to work on. You guys know down there. I mean, you know, you have so many, you guys have, I think more issues than we have, but we have a lot of things that we could learn from you, uh, with regard to like, uh, the way NSPS works and, and, you know, the, the efforts that they make and trying to, you know, harmonize things and, and, you're trying to get a whole bunch of people to agree to something. It's pretty difficult. So I, I, my hat's off to you for uh, all the work that gets done down there. Cause that's not easy. It's very difficult. And the thing is, I mean, we've got like what 50, how many States do we have? <laughs> 50. We got 50 States trying to agree on one thing and you have 10 provinces, right? So in a lot of ways, 
I think that you are in a position to make a bigger impact faster, whereas, you know, we've got 50 states to have to agree on something. It's, it's kind of difficult. Um, but go ahead. Jeff, it's amazing what no, people will agree to, though. <laughs> it really is. No, absolutely. People are breaking the problem down into into regional areas. Yeah. And you say, could Arizona and Nevada agree? Right. That's a good idea. You're right. Yes. Could yes. Arizona, Nev- Nevada, and Utah agree? Mm-hmm. No, right? And no so way. suddenly you start to get so. a, No way. I think so. <laughs> I think so. The four corner states, we could agree the on The mountain something. region, let's yeah, call it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I feel, I feel like I feel like uh, Wilson was a little mean. He was like, "You guys got issues down there. We can learn stuff from you, but well, you got problems." No, I, I mean, I think we can learn stuff from them up north. To be oh, honest, absolutely. With you. Well, the respect, and we can learn. Boot, we can learn boot things. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get uh, okay. So we gotta we gotta Don't get kick to, me out. I want to come down there and golf again. We're not gonna kick a moot. <laughs> It's a boot time. He comes down and goofs. Hey, what do you, what do you do in uh, October 9th? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, uh, it's that time. Uh, you know, we mentioned it on the last episode because the Godfather of the mantra was there, and then you pick him up on the side of the road at the airport. Uh, add value, make friends. What what is your mantra? What do you live by? What motivates you? Uh, I don't really have a mantra. I, I like the, uh, I've said this to people on, online, I like the three questions that Thomas Sowell always says. And that is, uh, compared to what, at what cost, and what is your evidence? Hmm. When you compare things, whether it's in life, uh, and you say, well, so-and-so is doing poorly. Compared to what? Yep. When my grandparents were alive, there was no running water. Hmm. By the time my parents came around, my dad was born in 1918, my mom in 1923 or 24. Um, there was no commercial plane rides. Hmm. There was no telephone. They grew up on a farm, or my dad grew up on a farm where there was, you know, if you wanted to run water, you had to run water. Uh, so whenever somebody says something or they're upset about things or whatever, or they're whatever, I'm just like, well, compared to what? That you was want the, to change something? Okay, well, how much is it going to cost? Hey, it's all relative, right? That was the most surveyor answer I've ever heard. So wait, I will go over <laughs> that again because that is genius. Compared to what? What was it? At, at what, what cost? cost? And what is the evidence? What is the evidence? That's the surveyor part. What's the evidence? the evidence? Yeah, no, that is genius. I love that. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. I stole that from Thomas Sowell, so uh, he's a great, uh, great man. So I, I don't want to get out of here without at least letting you talk for a minute about uh, mentoring because it's something that I am a huge believer in. How is mentoring in, in Canada? Is it still as valuable as I believe it to be? Yes, incredibly valuable, especially here because the uh, the onus is really on the profession to, to bring in new professionals. And part of that process here is articleship. Uh, you can't become a professional land surveyor anyway, anywhere without some sort of uh, mentorship. And the people that do the best are the ones that are mentored. Uh, I had a mentor when I went through, you know, he was good. Uh, I, but I got a lot of advice from even my competitors, the people that I work every day uh, against in some cases competitively. But if I have a problem, I can phone up a friend of mine that works at another company or owns another company and say, hey, I got a problem. I can't figure this thing out. Just two weeks ago, I was talking to a guy about a, a project that he didn't have to give me any advice on. You could have just told me to go pound salt, but uh, yep. he was very good about it. But mentoring uh, students is, is very important. I've I've articled quite a few people, not, not completely through, but I've articled quite a few people who have come to our office. And uh, part of that is getting them on their way. If you don't get them on their way, you're just holding them back. And if you're not being honest with them and telling them when they suck and they're, they're not working out, they're not, you know, they're not doing it well, yeah. uh, then uh, you're not being honest with them and you got to give them a little bit of encouragement. I had a guy work for me uh, who came over from the engineering uh, business and uh, he wanted to get a start in, in cadastral land surveying and the guy worked his tail off and he, uh, he did a lot of stuff. He worked really hard and uh, He's a great land surveyor now. Uh, this is one more thing. When he says pound salt, 
I say pound sand. Is that <laughs> is that a difference between America and, and Canada again? I don't know. Apparently. But I am learning more and more every day. <laughs> now you make friends. Exactly. Well, there's more sand in Arizona, so come on. <laughs> well, that, uh, that does make a whole lot of sense, actually. Well, all right. So I got to ask this one. Um, with all that you've encountered and done in your life, what would your autobiography be called? Oh, that is a good one. Uh, chuckles, maybe. I like to laugh. <laughs> chuckles. That's hilarious. I just, I, I call my dog Pickles. Pickles? Yeah. <laughs> For no reason, just pickles. <laughs> yeah. Hey, pickles, what's up? <laughs> I might change it to chuckles. I like that too. Uh, I thought that was Jake's autobiography, but that's just because he's lucky enough to hang out with us. Chasing chuckles. <laughs> Chasing chuckles. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Wilson. Yeah, nothing better than having a good laugh over something and having a enjoying a beer or something like that and just having oh, some fun. Story of my life. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Did I really say a boot? I, I heard. I heard it a thing. few times in there. You, oh, snuck it, you snuck it past us. So uh, maybe I was trying to avoid the uh, aboutts and, a, and a's and sorries. Don't, no, don't. Oh, sorry. Don't do it. The sorries. <laughs> I love, are, I love uh... Canadian folks. That's for sure. Uh, so Wilson, before we uh, have to get out of here, is there anything we haven't touched on that you might want to might want to hit us with? Uh, no. I'm just saying, don't invade. Uh, we've got our canoes at the ready and. Uh, <laughs> don't invade we got the canoes <laughs> sorry sorry it's all good sorry you know what? Of three canoes is going to attack you guys not one letter can he reference what no. the hell uh, hey that's pretty good i, I did I drop a figure dude that's what i say that. figure dude that's that. i love that one that's probably my favorite one i drop that one on hudson all the time figure dude well, how are you now yeah, yeah. how exactly. are you now oh that's what i likes about you wilson <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Wilson, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Um, check us out at thegeaholics.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn by searching for The Geaholics and listen to all our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, Stitcher, Spotify. Don't forget to download the Geaholics app from landsurveyorsunited.com. And last but not least, please subscribe to the new Geaholics YouTube channel. we got to get that 100. Email us at info at thegeaholics.com if you're interested in being a friend of the program or a guest on a future show. John Mellicamp, Play Guitar, available everywhere. Please support our friends of the program every chance you get. Pay it forward. Add value, make friends. And until next time, everyone. Sorry. Be safe and healthy. <laughs> no doubt about it. All right, once again, thank you to our friends of the program, Bad Elf GPS. Find them at bad-elf.com. Land Surveyors United, landsurveyorsunited.com. LIDAR News at lidarnews.com. Parkland College Land Survey Program, parkland.edu slash surveying. Unifly, U-N-I-F-L-I dot A-E-R-O. Diamondback Land Surveying at diamondbacklandsurveying.com. Advanced Geodetic Surveys at agsgps.com. Tiger Supplies at tigersupplies.com. Cyanic Automation at getjobbook.com. Safety Apparel, you can find them at safetyapparel.us. And finally, Get Kids Into Survey at getkidsintosurvey.com.